Welcome to the Living It Up Podcast. Welcome to the Living It Up Podcast, where we explore the changing landscape of competitive golf, which we discuss in an unbiased and neutral way. We like to say we call balls and strikes on both the PJ Tour and Live Golf and all other competitive golf in between. You know, each week we discuss the week that was uh, in golf from the competition inside the ropes to what's happening outside the ropes, you know, and how it's upended, you know, the live tour has upended the world of, of men's professional golf. We'll also have some special episodes that deep dive into a particular topic. And in this case, we're actually going to sit down with Jerry Foles, longtime commentator for Golf Channel, covering both the PGA Tour and LPGA Tours. Now sits alongside David Faraday and Arlo White as a lead commentator for Live Golf. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Zero Restriction, the leader in outdoor technical golf apparel. You know you need some gear to better manage the elements. So head to zerorestriction.com and use code LIVINGITUP30 for a very generous 30% off your purchase. This is Brian. I am joined by George the Fourth and PJ Tour veteran Billy Hurley the Third. Let's start with you, George the Fourth. Uh, we were chatting with Jerry Fultz just as the Live 2023 season is set to kick off at Mayakoba. What should listeners keep their ear out for this conversation with Jerry? Um, I think he did a really good job talking about, you know, what they did well last year, what they need to improve on this year. Uh, he took some time to, to talk about how they're going to help fans grasp the team concept more and and bring that into into sharper relief for for viewers and and that the CW is going to look a little bit different than than they did on on YouTube, but he also reiterated it's still going to be a lot of golf and a lot more golf than you see in any other broadcast. Yeah, Jerry did a nice job of being a spokesperson for Live, I think. You, you know, and 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 you can certainly take some criticism to that if 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 you want to take the kind of cynical view that he works for live and he and he has to be that way and and whatever and maybe there's a piece of that that's true but i've known jerry for a long time guys and he just seemed like he actually really believes in it and he really believes in in what they're doing um and and he he's he's on board for the long haul so it was it was really fun to hear him unpack some of those things of of why he joined live golf and and where he sees it going in the future yeah totally and so without any further ado let's jump to our chat with live golf's jerry foltz jerry foltz welcome to the living it up podcast i think many of our listeners know your voice you are a, a recognizable voice as a longtime commentator on the golf channel for both the PGA Tour and LPGA Tours, and now with Live Golf. But I actually wanted to start with your own golf career, you know, which actually included a victory on what is now known as the, the Corn Ferry Tour. So tell us, you know, how did you get started in the professional ranks and then transition into golf media? Uh, I mean, I would love to give you a long, drawn-out, dramatic story about that, but basically I wasn't good at anything else as a kid. So I took up golf and it became a passion like every one of us when you get bitten by the bug young. And went to college in order to play golf. And my whole, my whole plan was to someday try and make a living playing golf, which I managed to squeak out a little bit of one uh, through the early nineties and mid nineties. But after that, the talent, uh, the lack of talent was evident and uh, somehow backdoored my way into a, a chance to help out the golf channel crew in 1995. And lo and behold, a few weeks later, I was holding a microphone and, and the rest is history for me. So Jerry, let's talk about you going to making the decision to go to to live um, and 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 be kind of the lead commentator there. You know, there's there's lots of players who have talked about it as a life altering decision. Um, certainly, you know, lots of money and, and and that kind of stuff for for players. But what what were your considerations as you joined the live broadcast team? It was, Billy, it was agonizing. It was a really agonizing decision. We had, uh, I had had some talks with some people that live checking my curiosity a long time ago, and I was kind of not, just not really into it, not really into it. And then once it came down to getting closer and I knew that it was going forward, I, I, uh, I let them know that at least I'd like to chat and see what, see what it's about, learn a little more about it, learn, uh, learn what's going on behind the scenes and what the job would entail. And, uh, and once we had those talks, it was, I mean, it was exciting. It was frightening. It was everything all in one. When you put 27 years in with one company and you have so much family there, so much loyalty. And now the last 12 years being dedicated almost entirely to the LPGA tour and being so passionate about that product and not wanting to give that up either. So 
it was tough, but it came down to the fact that it was a great job opportunity at this point in my career to be a part of something exciting and fun because it really had gotten to the point at times where my job felt like a job and it had never felt like a job before. But it's, I mean, after that many years, you know, you don't get nervous before you go on air anymore, which is really a bummer because that is the most exciting, exhilarating part about it. And, uh, and it was my son, my 26 year old son, who's in the golf business, uh, so to speak, making golf balls up in Atlanta. Um, he said he was a believer in the product. He liked the business plan. He liked the excitement behind it. And he said, dad, you know, you don't really have that many years left on earth. You don't want to spend them regretting not having the nuggets to take a damn chance for once in your life. So that sealed the deal. Also the, uh, the TV people behind the scenes and the producer that they have, uh, Keith Hirschland, who's the best there ever was. is also the guy who hired me initially at golf channel. So a lot of things fell in line, but there, it was an agonizing decision. There's, there's been, when, when live launched, there was a ton of criticism um, about basically the funding source for it. Same funding source has been very prominent in the LPGA for a lot of years, um, and people get excited about the Ramco series and and so on. Did you did you think it was fair that this men's league was getting all of this criticism when women's golf was able to celebrate and embrace it? Uh, and rightfully so, they should because they deserve everything that Aramco and Golf Saudi has done for women's golf, not necessarily the LPGA, but certainly for women's golf. Um, yeah, no, I, of course, I don't think it's fair. I, I, I did enough research, a ton of research, actually, to feel comfortable with the moral ground upon which I stood when I made the decision. Um, but my point is those same people who are upset about the source of the funding would have been really upset about another angle of the creation of Live Golf if the funding came from, from say, Norway, who has the biggest sovereign wealth fund in the world. Um, Saudi Arabia's third, so they're not even top in that field. But had it come from some other place, we were still going to be viewed as the disruptive force in the game. And the people with vested interest in the current establishment were always going to try and find a way to try and discredit us, to try and uh, ensure that we that we failed, to try and uh, take away our credibility and all those things. And that's, I mean, that's, I think it's just human nature. It was to be expected. It's sad that it's got to the point where it has gotten to, um, but all, in time when the dust settles and it's going to take longer than I thought, I thought it'd be settling by now. And it's starting to a little bit from a, from a perception standpoint, from a fan standpoint, certainly internationally as well as here in the States. But uh, in time, it'll be viewed as something that was really good for golf. It's already been good for the guys who play the game. Everybody's making a ton more money than they ever did. But for the people who love watching golf, I think there's an option now that presents it in a different way that's a lot more exciting to watch on TV and now it will be on TV. And uh, I think once the dust settles, this will be viewed as something similar to when cricket went through the same thing some 20, 20 something years ago. Well, hey, I appreciate you walking through your decision making criteria and what you've learned. We actually wanted to kind of look back, take a year one live retrospective. And, and one of the things that I, that I wanted to talk about is just the challenges of the unique nature of live. You know, a shotgun start, uh, all the players on the course at the same time. One of the common refrains actually you hear from either CBS, Golf Channel, NBC is that, you know, it's it's a challenge versus traditional sports, whether that's basketball, football, baseball, because you have 18 arenas all happening at the same time. And, you know, if, if people would often say, oh, if you could only hear what's happening in my earpiece, you'd understand how dynamic this coverage is. You know, Liv actually takes that and dials it up quite a bit more with the shotgun start and all the players being being on the course at the same time. So I'm curious if you could talk about, you know, that that dialing up of the intensity or maybe even like broadcast confusion, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's uh, it's a lot different from a standard PGA Tour LPGA broadcast, which is typically done with somewhere in the neighborhood of 12 cameras for the for, a, you know, a, a non elevated or bigger event and a lot more cameras uh, for for the huge events and the majors. But with live. You can, the producer and director and everybody else in the trucks can see every single golf shot on the golf course at all times that's being hit. So you, you have 18 holes, but essentially you have 36 arenas, if not more. You got a tee box, you got a fairway, you have 54 arenas and a green. Um, and they can see all of that happening at once. And for them to make the decisions they do to go where they're going is just baffling to me. I don't know how they do it. And that's why I mentioned Keith Hirschland in my earlier, uh, my earlier comment. Him and Steve Bime together as a producer and directing tandem team they don't miss a thing. And it's just, it takes a special sort of rain man to be able to do that. Fortunately for us talking heads, it's a little more hectic in our ear than a normal broadcast, but not terribly. They kind of isolate us from that. They let us know 
which shot we're going to next, who's hitting it, and uh, and that's about it. And when it's time to maybe put in something else, a graphic comes in, or what we call the tag board, where we show comments from viewers, those kinds of things. But for the most part, it's hectic. The hard part was, and still is going to be, five five to five and a half hours. We are on the air. We don't have commercials. We'll have. I know we're going to have some creative types of breaks when we're on the air on the weekend on CW, but it's not going to be anything like what you're used to in a traditional golf broadcast. Um, and we're still going to stay live for the international feed. So five and a half hours without a break, without me being able to talk to Dom Boulay or to Sue Ann Hang or Troy Mullins out on the course and exchange information, which we normally are able to do during those three minute breaks. That is the most challenging thing from my perspective. Having watched some of the broadcasts in year one, I mean, the, the amount of golf that fans get to see is you know, 50x what we get in a PGA broadcast just because of, you know, there's so much going on all at once. So there's just more choices to be had. And and sometimes that was kind of overwhelming to sort of understand the significance of a shot we're seeing because you we you jump into it and it'd be, you know, 20 seconds on that shot and then 20 seconds on the next shot. And we'd be moving on with with this moving to the CW is there going to be a little bit more pacing to it so that fans can appreciate what they're seeing rather than just bouncing around so much? No, absolutely not. <laughs> Sorry, but uh, um, golf's audience has gotten stagnant for many, many years. It has not grown from a TV perspective in many, many years. And we're trying to present something that has a potential to grow to not only the golf audience that loves watching golf, but also to those who haven't watched golf because it's boring to watch on TV. And we're trying to present it in a much more exciting format with a lot more bells and whistles attached to it. And every one of those technological innovations that we've brought to the table and are going to bring to the table, all are able to happen over a live golf shot. So we don't have to break away from the action to show you a 30 second flyover or to show you a full page graphic that shows you basically nothing that I couldn't have told you anyway. Um, our producer, Keith Hirschland, and has always had two kind of overwhelming uh, philosophies to the way he does TV. And, it, it, and granted, most of the things that you see on TV weren't his invention, but a lot of them were ideas that he's had longstanding. But one of them is, I'll never show a tap in because they don't miss them. It's insignificant. I don't need to show you the tap in and then watch the player walk off the green so they can ins insert the lower third scorecard for the 16th time not walking off the 16th green that you already know uh, and waste all that time. I'm always going to show a live golf shot early in the golf channels days. And even now with the incredible amount of sophisticated research that live does each and every week, every focus group says, I want to see golf shots. I want to see golf shots. I want to see golf shots. And that is, that is, uh, that is the most important thing we can show and to be able to hopefully explain the significance of it on the fly like we're going sometimes we we screw it up but uh, that's human nature when you're going that fast and the other thing too is it's kind of becoming a fad now it's kind of catching on now but uh, we keith had this uh, this this one covenant by which we had to live as his commentators and that is nothing you have to say is more important than what the player and the caddy might say if they're talking, you shut up mid-sentence, it doesn't matter. And I think that brings the viewer inside the ropes, which you're starting to see a little bit more with CBS and uh, occasionally with NBC. Yeah, I think showing more golf shots is is definitely desired by by every fan. I mean, I used to joke like you, I mean, you almost want to watch the European tour broadcast because they showed more shots. They showed people all the way down the leaderboard. You know, my line on the PJ Tour is you watch three people play golf the one who's winning, the one who's losing and Tiger Woods. And that's, and that's <laughs> what you get to see, you, you know? So um, it, 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 I think, I think that is a good, certainly a good change for a viewer to have to see more golf shots. And typically um, you see your featured groups, your two groups on Thursday and Friday and in, in the TV window. And then Saturday, Sunday, you follow the leaders. Somebody gets on a hot streak out early, you know, they, they'll send a camera to catch them, but you know, they might have two or three holes left and you'll see their shots on tape or you'll see the big names putting out on 18 occasionally on Sunday. But yeah, you watch three or four or five players play golf. Going on about the broadcast and, and talking about golf, watching, you know, golfers who leaders and so on live obviously has the second component of a, of a team aspect to every single tournament. Are, are there things that you guys are going to do differently this year to help fans grasp and get into that team element for each of these events? Uh, yeah, a lot that we're going to do. We 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 
did a lot of things last year that were new. And, uh, and I think we learned from, I don't know if we made too many big mistakes, but I think one of the things that we didn't do enough of is tell that team story on the weekends. And the teams all have identities. Uh, the players, obviously, we have basically almost every strong personality in the professional game, in addition to being incredible champions in their own right. We have so many of the great personalities currently in the game uh, that the fans attach to that as well. But we will be showing a lot more of the team leaderboard omnipresent on our what we call our pylon or our, our leaderboard through four places so that the fans always know if their team has a chance to maybe move up into a into a podium finish as we say uh, I think we kind of lost that in the individual drama sometimes on Saturday and Sunday last year and we're going to try our hardest to keep a, a better eye on that um, I was so skeptical when I when I even when I signed on and I got off that plane in London I was so skeptical about the team concept it, not going to work in golf. I went to the player draft party. We had a draft for that first event. We didn't have teams. We had a draft. And talking to Westwood and Poulter and and so many of the guys who were there, and they were absolutely all in on the team concept. Brandon Grace and uh, and uh, Charles Schwartzel, all in on the team concept. A lot of them, it's one of the main reasons they took the leap to join Live because they wanted to be a part of that. Uh, and so I, I think that it resonated with the fans on site. It resonated with the non-golf audience very, very much. And I think the golf audience eventually had caught on a little bit to it and will, you know, so I don't pay much attention to the haters out there anymore and, and the little snide comments they make, but to, to the fans of golf and the fans of live and the fans of team sports, I think we made headway and we're going to make a lot more this year. All right. So here's one thing on the team concept. You got to take back to, to Greg and the powers that be at live is on <laughs> On Sunday or whenever the third, the final round, you got to count all four scores. This is professional golf. Nobody gets a pass. That's 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 <laughs> what I think about the, the the final round. Is count everybody's score. You got to grind out that seventy six to to you know keep your team in it. I couldn't possibly agree more. But now put yourself in the player's perspective. I you're am a player, Jerry. No, I know this game. Okay, but you put yourself in one of those forty eight players' perspectives. So your college team. And you are just playing like ass all of a sudden. And you, and you can't do anything to get out of that funk. You want to be able to crawl and hide somewhere, don't you? Are you sure you, you want to. But you don't want to hurt your team. This, but if we're playing for this amount of money, like, figure it out. If we're going to say that this is not <laughs> exhibition golf, if, if, if we're going to work on that claim, figure it out. Grind it out. Shoot 76. Keep your team in it. That's, that's, that's where I'm at. Well, we did do it for the for the team championship. That's, That's the true. last event of the year. And we did go from two counting scores, rounds one and two, to three. So we're inching in that direction. I couldn't agree more. I think all four scores count, but I think the players almost prefer it this way. Well, of course they do. But <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. As a fan, it's you know, we, we were talking about the the tournament last week, right? Like watching Scotty Shuffler just get in cruise control. And like, that's not exciting, but watching a guy who is scuffling, who is the the fourth player on the team who could win. So, I mean, that's a big chunk of money to that dude sitting there with his caddy being like, I got to fix like, dude, they're going to kill me in the room. If I don't get this done, like that'll be exciting. That would be electric TV. Yeah, I think I think it was actually Mark Leishman, if I remember correctly, at the the team ending championship that started off. And I think he was something like four over after the first three or four holes. And it was I thought it was super compelling drama, like to Billy's point that his score had to count. He had to like turn to his caddy and be like, we've got to find a way to make this work. Yeah, I think yeah. he did. He came back and shot like one over or two over or something like he played the last like 14 and like two or three under kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, it was an amazing turnaround and just a horrendous start. You're right. That that is compelling. I agree. Um, I don't know if every day it's uh, it's got the legs as it does at the team championship, the final round, but you never know. I'll pass it along to Greg for you, Billy. I'll be I'm, the I'm first saying, thing I'm, I tell him. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, I yeah. look I look forward to hearing back on that. <laughs> I I do I I want to see a caddy on about 14 or 15 just turn to his guy who's struggling with the with the driver. And just start handing him four iron. Like, no, you're finding fairways. Like, no, we are. You got to stay in this. <laughs> like the caddy I had once, I told him he was the worst caddy there ever was, and he said that's impossible. And I was steaming and mad, walking down the ferry, wouldn't even look at me. I go, how is that impossible? He said, too big a coincidence. 
That's uh, you know that's the old adage. What makes a good caddy, right? A good player. No. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, so one thing as we maybe wrap wrap up this retrospective on year one, you've talked about some of the exciting changes to the format, to the broadcast, to the graphics that Liv has done. We've actually seen a little bit of that to your point on on the CBS broadcasts on the PJ Tour as well. Some of the things with whether it's player interviews or some new graphics to show, you know, predict a shot. One of the things, though, and this is a critique, I would say, for both, and we talked about this on our most recent pod, we kind of criticized Jim Nance. It's almost like a show me, don't tell me thing. And you've heard this. I mean, you said you ignore the haters, but there are plenty of haters that would say the live broadcast is just telling me how innovative and exciting it is, as opposed to letting the product breathe and letting the product show me how exciting it is. I'm curious what you'd say to someone that that says some of this excitement feels a little artificial. Uh, the same thing. I've answered that question so many times. Um... This episode is brought to you by our friends at Zero Restriction. For more than 30 years, Zero Restriction has been the leader in outdoor technical golf apparel. Check them out at zerorestriction.com and use code livingitup 30 for 30% off your purchase. Thanks to our friends at zerorestriction.com for their support of the Living It Up podcast. We get accused by the haters the telling them how great we are, how great our broadcast is, how great the tour is. Um, you turn on the PGA tour at any given time, whether it be on their streaming service or on their network broadcast, and you hear about how great the PGA Tour is. Even their PSA commercials are telling you how great the PGA Tour is endlessly. Um, but nobody's tired of that. The people who get tired of us uh, promoting ourselves and our innovations and our product are the ones who don't want to hear it to begin with. And that's, I mean, it's, it's just that simple in a nutshell. So let's pivot now to year two. You know, the season starts, uh, what, 13 days from today or so, or less than that, nine days from today. Something like that, as we, um, you know, are here on the fifteenth of February, we we at the Living It Up podcast have deemed live a success in year one. We we think that what you guys did to to even just get off the ground and play eight events and and have the stories told that that you did um, and and bring some of the innovation that you brought to broadcasting and the team concept, all that stuff. We we've we've called it a success. But what we want to know is what do you think Liv's got to do? in 2023 to be a success in year two? Uh, I don't know. From a business standpoint or a revenue standpoint, those benchmarks I'm not familiar with. I, I'm, I know we're ahead of schedule already. Uh, contrary to what some people might try to tell you, we're way ahead of schedule in terms of our success in that regard. Uh, because there is, there was always going to, I mean, it's a, the PIF has made a big investment, a big investment to make a big return. And those big returns will be there in the long run. Um, I firmly believe it with all my heart. I didn't know that at first, but the more I've got into it, the more I realize it. I, do, I don't think we need to change a whole lot in order to be a success uh, from our standpoint. I don't know. I can't speak for the fans, but I think the uh, the CW deal is going to ensure that we we see a lot more people with an interest in live golf because now you don't have to you know, change your input source on your TV to try and pull up YouTube TV or watch it on your phone or your iPad. You actually just click through your over-the-air channels and you're going to be able to find Live on the weekend, one to six Eastern, I think, every event in the U.S. Um, so I think that's going to be a huge success. I I mean, there's so much legal wrangling going on behind the scenes right now, Billy, that I don't, I try to keep my nose completely out of. I don't really want to know. Um, when I listen to the guys who have a stake in Live, uh, reference it from time to time it seems like that's all going well um, so a lot will determine on unfortunately uh, some of those rulings I think but for us year one was a success not because just because we got off the ground because we staged eight events because we had some incredible excitement some great players and some great winners but the hurdles we overcame as an organization that were put in place by by the institution were massive. And every single time somebody said, we can't do something, we've done it. And uh, so uh, it's been kind of almost overwhelming in that regard, the amount of accomplishment that the people behind the scenes have, uh, have been able to do to achieve through so many uh, orchestrated efforts to try and keep us from getting there. 
you mentioned the moving to CW and I, I firmly agree that going to CW is a huge leap because as you noted, you can throw that on at the grill when you're done, it'll be on at a bar. It's easy to find on your own TV, the TV in your pro shop can put it on. So, you know, that's a huge chink in, in Jay's monopoly of, of TV broadcast, but also the CW, as I understand it is not part of the Nielsen ratings. So when you're talking about determining the success this year, how is that going to get measured when it doesn't seem like there's going to be like an apples to apples comparison of other golf broadcasts? Uh, fortunately, the Nielsen ratings aren't as obsolete as they used to be. They've actually come a long way since my early days in TV when they had, I think, 5,500 sampling boxes throughout the nation of 130 million homes. I'm not a statistician, but that didn't seem like a realistic uh, sampling point. But they've come a long ways. I don't know. I have been told our, our product will be able to be measured. Um, I don't know how that's done. I have no idea how. CW isn't really in its infancy, but it's in its infancy in a, in a different regard. Uh, it's been kind of that, you know, that station that maybe your kids watch or maybe your grandparents watch. They have programming de uh, designed at, uh, to both those markets. But I've never watched it. I never watched it in my life. I don't remember even seeing it except on the menu on my, uh, on my uh, satellite TV. Um, but they have new ownership. They have a new ownership that took over last year. Uh, Nexstar is the name of the company, a guy named Perry Sook, who is just one of those awful human beings who everything he does turns to gold. And he saw an opportunity to buy CW and to transform that and re-engineer the content, re-engineer the programming so that eventually it'll be, hopefully years down the road, it's considered in the same breath with Fox and CBS and NBC. This isn't new. This isn't a new idea. This happened with Fox some 20 something years ago when they were a local, you know, every local affiliate showing syndicated TV all day long. And they decided they wanted to get into sports. Look at them now. Now they're one of the, the kingpins in the in the world of televised sports and also a lot of original programming in primetime. I think that's I think that's uh, Perry's uh, goal for CW. And I know that's why he made a, I know that had to be a big part of why he made a huge investment in it. He put one of his top guys at the helm of CW as well. A guy whose resume reads like he's on the Mount Rushmore of, of broadcasting executives of TV executives. So I think they see great things for their future. And it's extremely flattering for us if they, they saw the opportunity to make their first step in that direction through live golf and made a huge commitment to us. And that is extremely flattering. And that, I think it's a lot, it demonstrated a lot of foresight on their behalf as well. And so obviously the CW is going to handle, I guess, US or I guess North American broadcasts. How is, how are international fans going to find live this season? We, uh, well, see, that's another thing that I think was misinformed all last year by the, the, the haters, if you will. I hate even giving them the time of day in that regard, but uh, we were in all kinds of, TV markets across the world. We just weren't in the UK and the US. Uh, we had TV deals in place, at, I think 42 different countries. We were on satellite over the air cable. Um, so the, the, we've, always, we've always been able to be seen there. The, uh, the two biggest markets, the UK and the US, we didn't because there wasn't a suitable deal in place. We had to show people what the product was and that we were gonna be able to do this before any any big deals would come uh, come on board, but I, I know these TV deals went back a long way into last year. When when once we opened their eyes, there were people interested. So, um, and there, we're always going to be able to be seen domestically on the CW app overseas. I don't know if it's going to be on YouTube or not, or on our app. Uh, I don't know how those rights work, but uh, everybody who wants to watch live, it's not going to be hard to find worldwide. It's going to be a lot easier in most places than it was last year. So much has been made of the kind of broadcast changes on the PGA tour, you know, player interviews with, a you know, th more, a little, a couple more caddy player conversations. Uh, you know, you, you touched on earlier about, you know, if, if a player and caddy are talking, shut up, you know, and um, so you guys are kind of obviously on, on that one, but we're just wondering, you guys have any new tech coming? Uh, you know, there's been drones flying around some of these PGA tour events, uh, I don't I don't really understand the predictable thing that they they brought out last week um that just I, I don't know we'll, you know we we have a saying around here of like we'll see I have no idea if that's any good or not we'll see so um <laughs> what 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 sort of things 
any any new tech from from your broadcast or, or anything to be watching out for this year? I think we have three or four new gizmos going into place in Mexico, and then another one or two coming out after that. But like I said earlier, everything we we're doing from a technology standpoint is something that could be seen over a live shot. So it's not a cutaway to it. I know we have a putting predictor line that's going to bring you a much better look from a live handheld camera, which has never been done before. Um, that to me is exciting. We have these almost, they're almost like game, like uh, gaming type looking uh, video graphics that we overlay over a lot of shots to show you all right, hit it here, hit it there. Here's what the field has averaged from that position. Here's what they've averaged from there. Here's what they've averaged from there. And then the really cool one I like is when you see a guy in the right rough and it'll just show you at the bottom of the screen or on the sidebar thing. He's saying, here's how many shots based on his statistics from this distance and, and this condition being rough or fairway or what have you. Here's how many shots it's going to take him on average to get into the hole. So it's you know, strokes gain is always kind of it's a, the most cited uh, stat there is in PJ Tour golf, and it's I don't know if the fan has ever really developed an appreciation for what it means. Uh, to me, it's nothing more than a ranking system because the first to the hundredth could be nothing more than .002 in difference from a real value. Um, we're kind we're giving you a little bit of that, but with a real time. Here's how it's affecting this player. Here's how it could affect his team. Here's how it could affect. Uh, so on and so forth. So we got a lot of that and, and quite a bit more. I, I had a little overview uh, not too long ago with the, the people who are in charge of developing all this. And the really cool, cool part is they're the same people that gather our data, do our graphics. Our graphics are integrated. They, they are live. We don't have to have two people in a truck type into a, a, a keyboard, Billy Hurley, third shot, 16, and then they can show it. it they, they, they hit the button on their touch screen that says Billy Hurley, and you, you're on screen and all of a sudden all of your information is there for them to choose which they want to show that pops up live on the screen. And the cool part for me is a lot of the research that they do, a lot of the statistical stuff they do, because they're data geeks, they're really good at it. Champions Data is their name. They're brilliant, but they're non-golfers. So they approach it from a very fresh mind that you and I simply could not look at statistics. And we look through them and some of them are completely useless to me, but some of them are ingenious that I would have never thought of. So We'll be using utilizing a lot more of those as well. So I'm really pleased with the timing of this conversation because it seems like uh, the season two teams are being shaped uh, and, and announced as we speak. In fact, earlier today, Team Torque, captained by Yaki Neiman, you know, has been joined by Sebastian Munoz, Mito Pereira, David Puig. You know, I, I've noticed also on the Live website, there's it seems like an effort to have fans choose a team, right? You know, sort of find your team. And I've often thought about even going back to some of these statistics. You know, it seems like there could be a really engaging fan opportunity. It could be, you know, fans being part of the franchise that that owns the team. It could be betting markets. It could be just new and interesting ways for fans to engage. I'm curious, you know, your thoughts on these new teams as they're taking shape. A lot has been made of them being international teams or sort of regional based teams. I just wanted to get your thoughts on how these teams are taking shape and, and how fans can participate within them. It's been, I mean, there's been a lot happening behind the scenes. Um, there've been a few moves as well, which uh, when all the teams have been announced by Friday, this time Friday, uh, you'll see a few player moves as well. I don't know if there's any more players coming on than the ones that have been rumored already. Um, for somehow I've known about every player coming on, uh, except for one, I think, since it started. Now I'm, I'm completely in the dark and I love it. I want to be as surprised as anybody. But um I think the fan, the, the teams have developed their own identity individually. And I think, uh, I think as those personalities, as they mold, as they, as they, you know, as, as, as something as simple as their logo that a kid might like and wants to, wants to, you know, have that hat daddy or, or what have you. I think that in eventually you get that loyalty where, I mean, we're still in our infancy, but eventually those fans will get that loyalty to their team uh, the way we do to so many other sports teams. Now this isn't, you know, I don't live in Green Bay, so I uh, and I and root for the Bears type thing. It's nothing like that, but it's uh, there'll be a. I think there'll be a strong uh, loyalty to their teams, and uh, I know that it has been that way through other sports that have done such a thing. And there's, I mean, there's you can you can see it play out in all kinds of uh, worldwide football or soccer, if you call it, and uh, and even in F1 for that matter. Um, the, the the loyalty to those teams, those driving teams. 
is 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 through the roof. So um, yeah, I think it's going to be cool. I didn't know I was team range goats for life, but after seeing uh, that that logo, uh, it's it's convinced me. I don't know if Billy's quite there yet. I think he's still an aces guy. Everybody loves a winner. So you, we had, you mentioned earlier um, that you know there's been a number of ongoing, I guess, lawsuits, legal legal tussles going on. The 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 arbitration involving players against the the DP World Tour, I think, result ended argument ended last week. So we're waiting on a decision. If that decision comes back favorable uh, for for the live players, is there a plan that's going to allow for some team shakeup if the DP players can play live and go back and forth? Like there, there'll be more eligible players basically without fear of repercussion. I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure they've thought of it. I haven't been in any of those discussions. Keep in mind, other than a few Zoom calls with the broadcasting side of things, I haven't seen anybody in 12 weeks. And in the process, I've realized I really need some hobbies. But um, I'm trying to keep up with as much as I can. But a lot of it just comes through social media and through uh, reporting this out there, some of which is actually accurate and source, some of which is just speculative and not. Um, but it, I... I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, but I, it would be, it's an interesting uh, hypothetical to say the least. Absolutely. Um, however, these rulings come out, however, these guys can play or not play. The fact is they're playing 14 events. Um, the majors have, um, I mean, have kind of stated already, look, nobody who's, you know, you don't want Mike Wan or Martin Slumbers or Fred Ridley or, or, uh, or uh, Seth, Seth Waugh doesn't want to be the guy at the helm when history views their major as an asterisk major because they excluded some of the some of the greatest players in the world at the time because of petty politics. So I think the majors are going to continue to ensure that they have the best fields in golf. Um, and so you got 14 events plus those four, that's 18 events. Most guys at the top level don't play more than 20. So I don't see um, how it's a huge deal, but it would be it would open the doors for a lot more guys to be able to to try and work their way into live and to have. Yeah, I mean, I know the teams will have alternates uh, in case of injury and all that, so where the score actually counts for the team uh, team scores. Uh, but yeah, it would be nice to have a roster of six or eight guys, wouldn't it, each week? And you let I mean, Christ, you can even let the fans decide who they want to see on the stingers or what have you. I think that'd be really nice as long as obviously like you prefaced it, it didn't cost them playing opportunities somewhere else. Uh, I don't know if you've seen naming things like Bodie McBoatface, letting fans get involved. Uh, Cause you could have, I could see fans of opposite teams getting involved to try and vote on like the worst guy for an opposing team. <laughs> I like the idea. <laughs> uh, that'd be awesome. You, you also mentioned you hadn't talked to anybody in 12 weeks. Um, from the outside looking in, it's looked like Liv's been a little tumultuous um, since the season ended and we're, we've gotten to here. Um, has the dust settled? Are things good going forward? It certainly seems like it to me. Remember, I mean, after the Shipnuck stuff came out and we were almost, Liv was looking almost dead in the water, uh, the word came that we're going, we're going ahead. Not we, because I wasn't a part of it at the time, but we're going ahead. And they, they had to put together an organization and an organizational structure uh, in five weeks, five weeks to hold that first event, five weeks. And they put together a really impressive group of people who, who wanted to be a part of something new. Most of them weren't looking for a job. Most of them took this job they didn't need because they wanted to be a part of it. And there, I mean, I can't tell you the amount of people who, were just so impressive to me having been a part of you know big uh, big motherships for a long long time in terms of the corporate structure for whom I worked um, so there is obviously going to be some growing pains there's going to be some settling there's going to be a lot of organizational structure wise and personnel wise things that eventually you know get solved the way they would in any other organization and we had a little bit of that but not a lot of that um, not a lot of that at all, actually. And, and I think moving forward, uh, they now have the luxury of being able to make sure that the right decisions are being made by the right people for the right reasons, as opposed to having to do stuff so quickly that a lot of stuff got either looked over or left behind or, 
or bad decisions were made. So I think uh, I think we're in a good position. I know the people I deal with that live uh, say we're in an incredibly good position. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think all things moving forward look pretty darn rosy from an organizational standpoint. And Jerry, you you seem very confident in the product itself. And I've heard you comment that you kind of feel like from a, if you want to use a military, you know, example, you've already won the war. There will be many battles to fight, uh, you know, on different fronts, but you feel like you've already gotten sort of off the ground and you've won, won, won the war to a degree. There's also a lot of talk about like what could a coexistence or a truce look like? I'm curious to hear your thoughts on, you know, what are those major sticking points? What might a truce or coexistence, you know, even look like in, in the years, years to come? Uh, I would, I don't know. There's a, there, I have a lot of thoughts on that as what could be, but yes, we, I, I told anybody that would listen when we were on the air, five minutes on the air that first day in London, I, I had this overwhelming feeling inside that we, we won, we won. There's so much animus out there trying to make sure that we didn't get to this point and we did and we're going to continue to overcome those hurdles that i referenced earlier um whether it's to let guys play in pga tour sanctioned events or dp world tour sanctioned events uh at their at their on a, even on a sponsor exemption type basis because i don't think anybody who's playing live is going to go out there and play 15 events and make it maybe patrick reed would because he likes playing a lot but most guys wouldn't Play a few, you know, if, if RBC and Dustin Johnson and a lot of the guys had longstanding relationships that have had to have been severed because of politics primarily. Um, but they have a lot of loyalty to some of their sponsors in the past that they could show up and support that event and play in that event type thing. I think that would be nice uh, long term in a, in a Pollyanna kind of viewpoint type of thing where certain players can play their way on to the live tour as in, I mean, 14 events that are scheduled not opposite the majors or the bigger PGA tour events. Uh, and that was on purpose to present that opportunity where guys could go back and forth, play their way on, get relegated to not be able to, and have to try and play their way back on. Not to say that PGA tour will ever be a feeder tour for live, but there's some kind of coexistence there where the PGA tour would have a vested interest in the success of a team or so on the live tour. So I think one other thing that, you know, pundits have, have posited as they think about, you know, this, if you want to call it battle between uh, live and the PGA tour, some have, you know, stated, you know, is it an existential threat to, to the PGA tour? I'm curious, what is your reaction to, to folks that would see it that way? I, I don't think, it was started to be viewed as an as a threat. Um, I think it was the the hope. I don't know if it's the goal, but the hope was it could be it could just add to the overall golf. You know, I hate to use those corporate uh, corporate uh, corporate boardroom buzzwords, but part to be part of the ecosystem to expand the the foundation from a golf uh, from a golf exposure standpoint throughout the world and to introduce it to new markets and to introduce it to new people who wouldn't be fans of golf or wouldn't have access to it otherwise. Um, I think that was a big thing behind it. And it was also a huge investment that was, and, and it is an investment. It wasn't a throwing away money. It was a huge investment to create something that brings value to it later on that it, it, a business investment by, on behalf of the professional investment fund from Saudi Arabia. Um, so I don't, I don't really, I don't think it was meant to be a threat. I think it's viewed as a threat. I think, uh, I think all those who have a stake in the game currently view their world, a stake in the PGA Tour side of things, or even to some extent the DP World Tour, view it as a threat to their existence or their, their way of life, the, 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 the monopoly that they've had for so, so long. Um, and in, in that regard, it is. I, I, I totally think it is. It's a threat to the monopoly because now there's options for players. There will be options for sponsors. There's options for fans. And when you have monopoly that long, that's a hard thing to let go of. Nobody ever lets go of monopoly voluntarily. Uh, so that's why a, a lot of the lot of the people view it as an existential threat, if you will. Uh, but I think there's room for everybody in the game. And, and I know that the players I mentioned earlier, the players on the PGA Tour and the Live players are all doing better after last year than they did the year before. And they're gonna be doing better next year than they did this year. Um, 
So I think from that perspective, it's been a win-win-win for the players. Um, from a fan perspective, I think it's been a somewhat of a win because they get to see uh, a lot more golf now than they did before, if they want. It reaches different markets that it didn't reach before. Um, but you don't see the best players in the world playing against each other as often as maybe you would have in the past. We're going to see it at the majors, and that's it. Uh, so I think in, in that regard, there hopefully we get some uh, – you know, some cohesion between the powers that be that feel threatened by this uh, to ensure that that is what happens moving forward. Yeah, there's no question it's a, a threat to a monopoly, right? And competition is 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 just that in in the marketplace. But the the rabbit hole of it being an existential threat to golf as a whole seems a little far fetched in in our minds here. But um, <laughs> Pivoting, you know, thinking about like what could the future bring in in some, you know, maybe crazy scenarios inside of live like is is you you were an LPGA guy, you know, on the broadcast team there for 12 years, as you mentioned. And like, is that something that you think could come in the future is, is a oh, ladies tour? I would love to see it. I would absolutely love to see it. I know Greg Norman has spoken publicly about the desire to do that. Um, I would absolutely love to see it if for no other reason for the ladies to be able to get the treatment that is and the respect and the compensation that they have earned in every bit the manner the men have, but they are not able to get because the, the marketplace doesn't see the value in it that they should, in my opinion. Um, I would love to see that for the ladies themselves. And, I, and hopefully, if that were the case, it would be done uh, without quite the animus from those that feel that it might be hurting their product, because I don't, I don't think you'd have a whole lot of trouble uh, getting most of the the best players in the world to to want to take part in, in a 14 event series or something like that. I don't know how far off that is or if those talks are even happening. I know Greg Norman has expressed a desire to do it for most of the reasons I just stated. Uh, I think some mixed team events would be extremely compelling. I know the PJ Tour finally, or was I think the PJ Tour did finally announced that there's a one of those is going to be happening on the PJ Tour in conjunction with the LPJ Tour. I forget which tournament's doing it. Um, but that's an idea that had happened once in the past with the J.C. Penny and has been extinct for a very long time. And I think the fans of the game desperately love. I know the LPGA fans certainly do, or ladies golf fans certainly do. Um, I would love to see it. I would absolutely love to see it. And I would, uh, I would tell you right now, if that came about, you wouldn't see me. Uh, my, I'm telling my bosses this now, and I've told them in person, you wouldn't see me on the men's side anymore. I'd go over and start covering that in a heartbeat just because I'm so passionate about how good the ladies play the game uh, compared to um, compared to what they get credit for and the respect that they that they that they get or lack getting uh, because of certain forces in the market. Yeah, we had a great golf debate. We have, we have a segment we do a lot. There's a great golf debate. Kind of what would a scratch golfer shoot, or where would they finish? Would they even make the cut at an LPGA event? And and the answer obviously is no chance. But, um, it, you know, there, there is that like sense that there, there is that we'll call it not, not a proper level of respect for how good the ladies game is. Yeah, no question. Well, Marty Fish is a plus three when he won the Diamond or not Diamond Resorts, the Hilton Grand Vacations Tournament of Champions amateur part. He's a plus three and he finished 21 shots behind the LPJ winner as a plus three handicap. Maybe more than that, actually. Might have been more than that. Yeah, it, it's no question. When you watch their their short games and their drives, I mean, they're so accurate and they're so straight. And then around the greens, I mean, I know people would like to talk about it. Well, I can hit it three thirty, and that's why I'm going to get ahead of them. It just doesn't matter. I mean, they're they're so so good. Well, in men's golf, guys have uh, four or five scoring clubs. You call them, you know, nine irons, some wedges, and a putter are scoring clubs. In women's golf, they have thirteen scoring clubs. Literally, I've seen players hit a three-wood or a five-wood shot with the idea of making birdie with that shot, you know, getting it close enough where it's a guaranteed birdie. It is the most precise ball striking you've ever seen. You don't see too many players fake it out there the way we see continually because of their skills uh, in getting stuff done on and around the greens on the PJ Tour. You don't see that on the LPJ Tour. It's almost impossible. I wanted to, to ask, so moving to CW, a couple of questions here. Um, the first is, are broadcasts or I guess recaps and if I to rewatch uh, the day's broadcast, will that still be available on YouTube? 
Uh, it'll be on the CW app. I don't know if it'll be available on YouTube here domestically. I, I don't know that answer. It's a good question, though. Yeah. And, and then also, now that there's the CW, they obviously want to start ramping up some sports broadcasting. Um, are, are we going to see Faraday start to to do more things outside of the broadcast, you know, relaunch his, his individual show, um, see more opportunities like that from the, 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 the non-playing personalities. I've heard rumors of, of things like that. I don't have any confirmation. I don't know. Um, I know there've been reports written about maybe that, but if any time we get more Faraday, I think it's a win for everybody. Uh, I get to sit next to the guy for five hours a day um, when we work. And it is, I mean, it, it's just, it's, it leaves you in stitches. You never know when he's going to be funny. You never know what he's going to say. And he constantly is full of surprises and he's absolutely brilliant. But uh, yeah, I hope, I hope so. I hope there is some, what do you call it? Shoulder programming because of the live product that comes through to, to CW and their various platforms for distribution. Yeah. That would be awesome. Yeah. I talked about the timing of this being super interesting. Actually, just this morning, the full swing Netflix documentary came out that's showcasing a number of players across both the PGA tour and live sort of that, you know, off the course programming. I'd imagine we'll see, you know, we're fond of saying that, that the, the full swing documentary may expose some, some fans that are, that are, you know, maybe, you know, more interested in, in the documentary versus the playing, it might expose them to, to the golf. I'd be curious if, if Liv is thinking about that, those off course, you know, maybe documentary style films or, or, you know, media opportunities for, for players and caddies and coaches, what have you. Well, I mean, the, that those documentary series did world world of good for F1. My God, it's just, it's so incredibly popular now because of the drive to survive. Um, I know we did a lot of it last year and behind the scenes stuff in a limited basis with the players in the team rooms on the drives to the course out to dinner with the, with the Australian team. Uh, I, I don't know if we're planning on doing more. I know we have some very bright people in that department of, of our broadcast side that would like to do a whole lot more of it. And I, um, the players have all, I mean, almost to a man have, have welcomed the opportunity to showcase their personalities more in a situation like that. So yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, it'll be exciting to watch. Well, hey, uh, Jerry, I really appreciate you taking time on all these questions. I feel like we could uh, deep dive on any of these, but we'll get you out of here on uh, on an emergency nine, a couple of uh, rapid fire questions here, and I'll, I'll get started. But what is your favorite golf course? I'm trying to make it rapid, but my favorite golf course is wherever my friends are playing or wherever my son's playing, because that's to me the most enjoyable thing of golf is who you're playing with, not where you're playing. But if I had to pick out one, it would be Pebble. If you had to pick one that's not on a competitive tour. Uh, I grew up at Las Vegas Muni. Uh, still have fond, fond uh, memories of that. I love it. Love yeah. it. Yeah. Dream foursome. I could answer it like Jim Thorpe did one time, but I won't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Billy's probably heard that story. Uh, my son. Um, probably. Gosh, I don't know. I'm not going to go cliche famous golfers because. But uh, yeah, my son, probably my dad, maybe my late dad. And uh, I don't know, I've Gandhi. Who knows? Big hitter, big hitter. <laughs> no, that's a lot. That's a that's, llama. That's the llama. Dalai Lama. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we know your favorite golf course at Pebble Beach. What about your favorite golf hole? Um, favorite hole is extinct now. It was the par three, the third and 12th hole at Stanton Golf Course uh, Municipal Goat Ranch, just west or just east of Midland, Texas. It was the hardest hole in the history of mankind. It had a green about the size of my pool table that was hard as a rock and it shaped like a, the hood of a car. And, uh, and I used to, I literally, if you stayed short of the green, you could make three or four, but if you hit it hole high, you literally are going to, it's like watching a tennis match, shipping it back and forth. Hardest hole I've ever seen in golf. Favorite hole though, I think, uh, if, I think my favorite hole in all of the world is number eight at Pebble. It's just, it just it requires so much on that hole that uh, I think that's probably my favorite hole. The most underrated hole of the course, that's for sure. Favorite stick in the bag. Six iron or nine iron. I made a bunch of holes in one. Every single one has come with a six iron or a nine iron. The you only thing him, I've ever been. You get them confused? Like, is that why you got to say <laughs> both of them at the same time? You're not sure? I know, right? I know. Uh, but uh, the only thing I've ever, I'm, I'm good at without 
worrying about, I never really putt poorly. So I, I don't putt great, but I think uh, I don't even practice putting. And somehow I go out and manage to make a few putts every day when I play, which I need to uh, with the fact that my club head speed is, you couldn't even get a speeding ticket on the highway for my club head speed anymore. So there's a lot of live players, Jerry, that the U S audience might not know much about um, who, who should we be looking out for? Who should we know more about this year? Who who might, you know, be flying under the radar kind of thing on live? Uh, well, Scotty Vincent last year, he, he didn't really fly on the radar on the live, but live was kind of under the radar itself to the U uh, S audience. I think Scotty Vincent, he's, he lives out in, uh, I think he lives in Phoenix right now or Palm Spring. No, Colorado with his wife and kid. He's a South African. And he is, I mean, he has such a great golf swing. He played such great golf last year. He played his way into London by virtue of winning a tournament on the Asian tour that was a qualifier for that first event. Cause we didn't have a huge list of top names for that first event. He played his way in there and managed to play his way into the point to where he's now a full-time member this year of live golf. And he's got some serious game. Uh, Pachara Kungwamai play, is playing some really good golf of late. He played some good golf late last year. Uh, and I'm about as nice a human being as you could ever imagine, as all the Thai players are just so incredibly nice. Um, I could go on and on about a bunch of them, but, uh, uh, but I think Scotty Vincent is the one that you, if the world works in a way where he can play his way into majors, you're going to see him make some major statements. I'm not predicting he's going to become a major champion. I'm saying that I had never heard of him before and he has a game to compete at the very highest level. All right. We are an all golf fans podcast here. So this week the cat is back. What do you think people should realistically look for this year from Tiger Woods? Uh, I mean, all I can say is hope that he's healthy and that he's smiling and that he's happy. Um, I don't think you should place any realistic expectations on him um, because he does that himself. He always has. The only time you ever, David Faraday told me once, the only time he's ever been wrong about Tiger is when he's underestimated. Um, but I think if we're dreaming, if we're hoping that, Tiger graces our airways on Sunday afternoon with that, you know, that pump, that fist pump of a champion uh, a dozen times a year, like he has done in the past. So we're not being very realistic. Um, if he's able to go out there and compete four days pain-free, that'll be a success in my mind for Tiger for what he's gone through with that leg. Um, but I know that won't be a success in his mind. He doesn't want to play if he doesn't feel he can contend and, and for those saying this is nothing more than a warm-up to see how he can handle it. I don't think Tiger tees it up for a warm-up. I think he tees it up because he thinks his game's in good enough shape to try and contend. Seems like a stretch to me, and I think to most rational golf fans, but probably not to him. You covered LPGA golf for a number of years. Uh, you know, starting this year and for many years, the U.S. Women's Open is coming to some pretty storied venues. In fact, this year will be out at Pebble Beach, your favorite golf course. I'm curious, given what you know about the women's game, who is going to win? Will We'll rewind to this uh, when it happens, but who who is going to win the, the U.S. Women's Open at Pebble Beach this year? Uh, from a, I mean, Pebble's not about power. It doesn't hurt anywhere, but it's not it's not about power there. Um, I would I would have to give Danielle Kang a pretty good nod um, because of her short game is so incredibly good. Um, I'd say Minji Lee, who won last year's U.S. Open, will be on the short list of favorites, obviously, because uh, she she hits it so extremely precisely and uh, and so straight and puts it really, really well. Brooke Henderson, I like, but for some reason inside, I, you know, when I was out there, I wasn't allowed to be a fan of it. I had to be impartial, but I want Lexi to win every major just because she's gone through such incredible disappointment and handled it better than anybody I could ever think of in the world could possibly handle the amount of scrutiny she's been through and her game has so much potential. All right. Well, last one here, we are the living it up podcast. So we want to know what Jerry Fultz does outside of work and golf to live it up. <laughs> uh, I play pool. I mow the yard. I drink a lot of beer. I didn't, you don't have it in the, in the, I got my keg over there and a couple beer lights hanging up. Um, I don't have hobbies, Billy. Matter of fact, when Karen, my girlfriend, Karen Stuffles, was out of the country visiting her parents at Christmas, it was me and the dog, and I started calling the dog Wilson. It was, I mean, literally, I live out in the sticks, got one neighbor on each side, but we're a long ways from each other. I have, there are times I'll go a week with no human interaction when I'm home, not working. So 
a lot of what I have to do is around here and cooking and baking has become a passion. So when I'm living it up, I'm making pizza dough, baguettes and croissants in the same day. Well, of note for everybody, do not let uh, Jerry swindle you at the pool table. He's got one right behind him. So if he wants to start playing, you know, 10 or $20 a ball, watch out. But hey, Jerry, this was a ton of fun to uh, to have you on the podcast. We uh, would love to have you back on as the season gets going. And and best of luck as the season does start to, to get launched for season two of Live next week in Mayakoba. Gentlemen, I appreciate your time and I appreciate uh, the fact that you got no dog in the fight in terms of uh, in terms of a bias toward or against anything. Um, and it's always a pleasure to talk to Billy as well, because uh, if you're not a fan of Billy Hurley, just look him up a little bit really quickly and you'll see everything he has done, which a lot of it is firsts. And he's uh, he's as good a person as he ever was a player. So I hope he gets back to healthy, Billy, and, uh, and best of luck to you. Thanks, Jerry. Yeah. Thank you very much for the time, Jerry. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the Living It Up podcast. Follow us on the Twitters at Living It Up Pod. See you there.